Welcome to Words of Grace, radio ministry of Elder Ben Winslet, pastor of the Flint River Primitive Baptist Church near Huntsville, Alabama. We invite you to stay tuned to today's broadcast. Our broadcast today is entitled The Only God. I feel compelled and have for several weeks to address a problematic view that I was first exposed to several weeks ago regarding whether or not God the God of the Bible, the one true and the living God, Jehovah, if you will, whether this God that we worship and serve, the Lord, is the only God in existence, or if there's a multiplicity of various gods, lesser gods, in existence that the Lord rules over. Now, the reason that I feel compelled to talk about this, and I have for some number of weeks, is because a very popular Christian teacher, who is not sound as it relates to the doctrine of Scripture, obviously the doctrine of God, and many other doctrines such as salvation, has recently published a documentary asserting that God is the chief deity who rules over lesser deities that rebelled against him in the beginning of time. Now, if you're a Bible believer, if you're a Christian and you go to church and you heard what I just said, I hope that you are troubled. If you have been influenced by this view, then I would exhort you to listen to what I have to say today. If you are troubled by this view, then listen to what I say today so you can be equipped to deal with it if it comes our way. Now, after announcing something so outlandish and ridiculous to a sound Bible believer, why would I believe this is something that needs to be addressed on the radio? Why wouldn't I think that this silly view is publicized with any other countless number of silly ideas on social media or YouTube, only to be rejected to appear in the back corners of some internet conspiracy cafe? Well, this view has actually been published by the most prominently used Bible software among seminary students, what's commonly considered the flagship of Bible software in this country. And so because of that, I believe that there are a lot of preachers and a lot of Christians that are going to be influenced by this notion that God is not the only God, but He rules over a council of other deities. And that's a great threat to Christianity. This might be one of the greatest threats to Christianity and to sound Bible principles in our country at present. And so I feel the need to address it with you here on Words of Grace, and we'll do that, Lord willing, on the broadcast today. To put it briefly, it is espoused by a certain Christian author that God presides over a council of lesser gods he created, of whom he is the greatest. And this is actually based on a misunderstanding of Psalm 82, which we will consider in a moment. Now, to be very blunt about this, this idea is polytheism, and it comes from ancient cults and false religions. It's not a far stone's throw to either paganism or Gnosticism. Sometimes adherents of this view will say, well, no, it's not polytheism, because in this view, Jehovah is the greatest of all of these gods. Well, in ancient Greece or Rome, Jupiter or Zeus was the greatest of the gods that ruled in Olympus, and that's polytheism. If you believe in more than one deity, you are a polytheist. If you believe that more than one god exists, 
That's polytheism, period. That's the definition of the word. So it's a cop-out to say, well, no, I think Jehovah's the greatest, or perhaps as many who hold that view would say Yahweh is the greatest. I prefer and hold to the pronunciation as it's found in the KJV. It's the one with historical attestation to it and for it, but if you want to be nitpicky and say Yahweh, well, they would say that Yahweh, that pronunciation— would be the chief deity, and the other ones are created and lesser. But listen, that's still polytheism. If you have more than one God existing, that's polytheism. And it's not a very far stretch to paganism or Gnosticism. Now, the first thing that we want to do today, very briefly and very quickly, I might add, we'll consider a lot of Scripture in successive order, is the exclusiveness of God. God alone is God. He is the only God. He is the one true and living God. There are a lot of God-only passages in the New Testament, which is the first place that we'll go to today. In John chapter 17, in verse 3, Jesus says of his Father, and as you know, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that he is the only true God. Jesus goes to the cross that people would know the only true God in Jesus Christ whom he has sent. God is the only true God, and if he's the only true God, then any other God is what? Well, a false God. God is the only true God. There are several only wise God statements in Scripture. Romans 16, 27, 1 Timothy 1, 17, Jude chapter 1, there's only one chapter in Jude, verse 25 says that God is the only wise God. Jude 1, 4 says that he is the only Lord God. The only Lord God is Jehovah. Jehovah is the only God. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 46, and I might add that this portion of Isaiah is absolutely full of statements contrasting the true and living God with the idols of this world. Isaiah, chapter 46, God asks the question, to whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be like? They lavish gold out of the bag. This is referring to idols. They weigh silver in the balance and hire a goldsmith, and he maketh it a god. They fall down, yea, they worship. They bear him upon the shoulder, they carry him, they set him in his place, and he standeth from his place shall he not remove. Yea, one shall cry unto him, yet he cannot answer, nor save out of his trouble. This is referring to a false god or an idol. They make a god, as it were. Now, you can't make a real god, but the word here, god, has reference to an idol, some sort of a trinket that a person has made and they worship as a god, but it is an inanimate object. Be very clear, this is an inanimate object. It's why people carry him. It's why people set him in his place. It's why he can't move from that place. You can cry unto him, but he can't save you out of your trouble because this is an inanimate object. You can take a coffee mug and get the same result if you put it somewhere it's not going to move if you cry out unto it it's not going to do anything any inanimate object will do it's an inanimate object it can't do anything that is what these false gods are that people have made remember this and show yourselves men bring it again to mind O transgressors remember the former things of old now listen to this for i am god and there is none else jehovah says i am god and there is none else. None else what? No other gods. Literally what he's saying is that I am the only God in existence. Any other thing that is called a God is something that human beings have created. It's idolatry, 
and these other gods simply do not exist. Let's read that passage a few times in a row, because if there's someone here that's influenced by this notion, I want you to hear my words today. To say that God, Jehovah, rules over a bunch of lesser deities, lesser gods, that are also legitimately considered gods, violates this principle. And listen, I'll just say it. It's absolutely heretical. It's false teaching. It's destructive. It's something that cannot be and will not be tolerated in sound churches. I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. And he goes on to say, declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, I will do all my pleasure. God knows the end from the beginning, and throughout human history, his will has been done. Known of God are all of his works from the beginning of the creation. God is sovereign, he is a king, and he alone is God. Again, let's read it one more time. I am God, and there is none else. There is no other deity that exists except for our God. Remember, the only God statements in the New Testament that we sprinkled into today's broadcast as we consider the exclusiveness of God. God is the only God. Psalm 96 is another passage that's very relevant to the discussion today. Are there other gods that exist? Are there other things that should be called gods? that are authentic, legitimate gods that exist in the world. Psalm 96 says, All the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. This whole psalm is one that's worth you reading because it talks about the fact that we should worship the Lord. Lord is in all caps. That means it translates from the Tetragrammaton, the word that translates Jehovah. The Lord alone is great, he is God, and all of the gods of the nations are but idols. They are false things. They do not exist. If they have a physical form, it's because somebody made it. It's an inanimate object. Sometimes they are merely figments of other people's imaginations that people make statues and replicas of, but they do not exist. Hear me. The gods of the nations are idols. And what you read in Isaiah 46, for instance, about idols is that people make them out of gold or silver or wood. They put them in their place. They cry out to it. They worship it. But it can do nothing because it does not exist. It has no consciousness. It has no person. It has no being. It is false. This is why God is, in Scripture, called the true God, the true and living God, the only true God. Over and over and over, God is true. God is holy. God is just. God exists. But these other deities, these what some people would call lesser deities, they do not exist. Proponents of this view that there are a multiplicity of gods would say, well, God that we worship, Jehovah, he's the eternal God, but these other ones God created for a purpose. And some of them would say, well, he created them to rule over various regions of this world. And I would just espouse and assert that, no, God rules over all the world. God doesn't divide up his sovereignty and his authority and give to anyone else. God alone possesses his authority and his power. While he calls men to speak in his name and he sends angels to do his bidding, it is his bidding that is done. He sees all. He alone is omniscient. He alone is omnipotent. He alone is omnipresent. God is not dividing up his sovereignty or his authority. But let's consider that notion for just a moment as we think about the exclusiveness of God. Again, proponents of this view might say, well, God alone, Jehovah alone is the 
chief god and the most powerful with the ultimate say and the authority, blah, blah, blah. But these other deities he created for a purpose in the world. But I want you to notice Isaiah 43 and verse 10. So let's put that through the ringer. Let's test that from the Word of God. Would it be possible for another God to be created? Isaiah 43.10, Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. Now, we'll consider a passage in a minute that talks about the fact that God is from everlasting to everlasting. When he says, before me there was no God formed, that doesn't mean that God had a beginning. Quite the contrary, God had no beginning. But he's saying, listen, there was never a time that there were gods that existed before me, and then suddenly I came into being, but gods predated me. That's important not only because of what we're considering today, but because of other ideas in the world today, such as Mormonism. Mormonism teaches that the God that we worship was a man who adhered to the Mormon religion prior to becoming a deity, but that violates the clear depictions of God and descriptions of God in the Bible as being an eternal God. Since God is eternal, obviously no gods were created before him because he's the only God. And so he says here, there's no God made before me, neither shall there be any after me. And it's that statement that I want to focus on for just a moment. If someone holds to the view that God created a bunch of lesser deities, a bunch of lesser Elohim that rules over the world, that rebelled against him in the beginning of time and went on to become the demons, is actually what many people who hold to this view say, then they are saying that God created other gods after him, that God created lesser gods at some point. But notice, neither shall there be any after me. Now, again, God is eternal. God doesn't have a beginning, so obviously none could be created before him, but there was never a point in time where God created other deities. None before, none after. God alone is God. He's the only true God. Back to the Psalms in Psalm 90 and verse 2, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. So God is the everlasting God, from everlasting to everlasting, from eternity past to eternity future. If you'll accept those linear time terms as it relates to eternity, God alone is God. None before, none after, but from everlasting to everlasting, he alone is God. And remember from Isaiah chapter 46, I alone am God. He is the only God in existence, and anything else that is called God is an idol. So obviously the Bible presents a very clear, pointed lesson about the exclusiveness of Jehovah as God. Why then do some who name the name of Christ hold to this idea that Jehovah is the chief deity over an assembly or a council of lesser deities? Where does that come from? Well, they actually base this off primarily two passages in the Bible, and then they extrapolate that and force it onto other texts. And so we want to consider just in brief, because we have to move very quickly with this. I could spend hours talking about it, but we've got a 29-minute time period to be on the radio today. 
We'll consider the two passages briefly that people use to present this notion, and then we want to find clarity about these passages from the New Testament. And just to give you a little bit of a spoiler, what is being taught is not what Jesus taught about these passages. Jesus actually quotes the primary passage and does not apply it the way that these modern teachers do. You notice they very rarely quote Jesus on this subject is because what they teach is contrary to what Jesus teaches. And if I'm given the choice between a modern, critical Bible teacher and Jesus, well, I'm going to believe Jesus 100% of the time, I hope, I'm going to believe Jesus. So where does this idea come from? It comes from the usage of Elohim or El in Psalm 82 and Psalm 8. Now, while most of the time in Scripture, El or Elohim means God, and Elohim is a plural term, well, why in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth was the word God, Elohim, plural, instead of El, singular? Well, it's a very simple answer to that. God is one God, but God refers to himself as us. Let us make man in our image. Why? Because God is three in one. We've spoken on this subject dozens and dozens of times on the radio over the past 15 years of broadcasting. God is a trinity. Trinitarianism is biblical theology. The Father, the Son, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. There aren't three gods, and yet at the same time, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are three persons, co-eternal and co-equal, and completely God. And so compartmentalism isn't true that God is three persons that make up one-third of the deity. No, the Father is God. The Son is God. The Spirit is God. Co-eternal, co-equal, three that at the same time are one. There is but one God. There are not three gods. And that's impossible for a human mind to grasp and understand, but that is the truth of the matter. Now, while most of the time El or Elohim means God, sometimes that Hebrew word can have reference to things that are mighty, things that are powerful. Sometimes it refers to those who are judges in the world, and sometimes it even has reference to angels. But that doesn't mean that those who are mighty have godlike power. It doesn't mean that those who are judges in the world are gods. It doesn't mean that angels are deities. It's just a different use of the term. We have words all the time that we use in our language that mean multiple different things. And it's why context and dictionaries and historical usages of terms, why these things are so important. Now, people who hold to the theory that God rules over an assembly of lesser deities that he created deny these various other usages of the words El and Elohim. And as such, they opt for polytheism instead. So let's look at the two psalms that are used to teach this. Psalm 82. In Psalm 82, we read, God standeth in the congregation of the mighty, he judgeth among the gods. That word there, mighty, translates from the word El, which many times means a deity. Now, you might say, if you're a proponent of that view, aha, we caught you. God stands in the congregation of the gods, and he judges among the gods. I want you to go down to verse 6 of this passage. I have said, ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High, but ye shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, thou shalt inherit all nations. Did you notice that statement in verse 6? I have said, ye are gods. 
that verse is quoted by the Lord Jesus. How does Jesus apply that verse? Let me give you a rule. Whenever you read an Old Testament passage and you have trouble understanding it, find somewhere in the New Testament where it was quoted. Now, this is something that you don't hear those who have these crazy ideas doing. But whenever you find a troubling passage or confusing passage in the Old Testament, see if somebody quoted it under divine inspiration in the New Testament. In John chapter 10, the Jews took up stones to stone him because he said, I and my Father are one. And in doing that, that was to assert his deity. To be the Son of God, they understood meant that he was deity, he was divine. And so they take up stones to stone him. He says, which good work do you stone me for? And they said, not for a good work, but for blasphemy, because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. Jesus' answer to them is peculiar. It's interesting. He actually quotes from the 82nd Psalm. Jesus says, is it not written in your law, I said, ye are gods? He quotes that passage. So how does he interpret it? If he called them gods unto whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, say ye of him whom the Father hath sanctified and sent into the world, thou blasphemest, because he said, I am the Son of God. In other words, Jesus says, listen, I'm God incarnate, but you're wanting to stone me from blasphemy, when in the Old Testament, God called certain people gods, people to whom the word of God came. Does Jesus interpret Psalm 82 as some council of deities? No, he doesn't. He considers Psalm 82 having reference to the people to whom the Word of God came. You say, but that's not as sci-fi and fanciful and interesting and intriguing. It actually is, but regardless, that's the correct understanding of this passage because Jesus said it was. Those who are the mighty here, the congregation of the mighty, those who God says, ye are gods unto, those are people to whom the Word of God came— This has reference to the judges. Now, the interesting question then is, why are they called God? They're called God not because they're actual deities, but because God gave them his word, and if God gave them his word and they put his word into practice, then it is as if God himself is speaking. Also, they have divine authority given unto them As judges in the nation of Israel who take the law of God and apply it, they can sentence people to death, they can set people free. They have authority of God that is given. And so in that sense, he says unto them, ye are gods. Jesus says the people that God stands in the congregation of, the mighty, and judges among, they're not a council of lesser deities. No, they're people that the word of God has been given to, and he will judge them if they do not use this authority that God has given them properly. We find in Exodus 22 and verse 28, not to revile the ruler of thy people or the gods. And that's actually a Hebraism where the same thing is said two different ways, but it has reference to the same thing. Reviling the ruler of your people is like reviling the gods because someone who is a ruler with God's word in Israel is referred to here in Psalm 82 as a god, not that they're really a god. That's the point but they have authority of God. The same thing occasionally is said of angels. Angels are not gods, and yet at the same time they have the authority of God, they have the word of God or from God, they relay messages from God, 
And so sometimes this word is used to describe them, but that doesn't mean they're actual deities. Trust me, Samson was not a deity. Samuel was not a deity. They were not literal gods, but they judged with God's authority and with God's word. And because of that, you have this statement made of them, this peculiar statement. It's interesting. It's difficult in Psalm 82, but that doesn't mean that they're literal deities. For someone to espouse that Psalm 82 teaches that Jehovah rules over a council of deities, they have to ignore what Jesus said about this psalm, and we don't want to do that. We want to believe what Jesus said. The other passage that they use, the primary passage they use to teach this, is found in the eighth psalm, Psalm 8. Psalm 8 says, Thou hast made man a little lower than the angels, Psalm 8, 5. Did you know that that word angels there actually translates from Elohim? with a simple prefix added to it that means from. This particular Psalm 8 is talking about, number one, the mystery of God being kind to human beings, but at the same time, it's prophesying of the incarnation of God's Son, who was made a little lower than the angels. But in Psalm 8, 5, thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. You notice, like the KJV translated Psalm 82, Elohim as mighty. Here, it translates Elohim as angels, This is another passage that people assert are talking about this council of lesser deities. And they would say that angel is a mistranslation. God made man a little lower than these other deities that God created and crowned him with glory and honor. You know the problem with that? In the New Testament, when Paul quotes this passage in Hebrews, you know he didn't use the Greek word for God. He used the Greek word for angels. You know the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament in Psalm 8? You know, it doesn't say the word for God, but it says the word for angels. Why might that be? Because they all understood that Elohim here in Psalm 8, 5 has reference to angels, not to lesser deities. Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. Even though that word in Hebrew is the word Elohim, it has reference to angels. The New Testament confirms that. I'll take Hebrews over modern so-called scholars. The book of Hebrews in the New Testament This passage is quoted as saying God made his son a little lower than the angels. Now, why would angels be called Elohim? Well, I've already answered that question. Because they have power of God, they bring messages from God, they bring the word of God, and because of that, they are referred to with this same word that translates God, El or Elohim. So those two passages, we've considered them. And in both cases, the New Testament clarifies what that meant. Psalm 82, God judges among the congregation of the mighty. Elohim there has reference to people who have the authority of God and the word of God to judge among men. Psalm 8, verse 5, the word Elohim translates angels because that's literally what it has reference to according to the New Testament, and that's the way the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible was. In Jesus' day as it is today. So using the New Testament to understand these passages, it actually kicks the feet out from under this idea and this notion. It takes the foundation out from under it because it rightly applies the two chief passages people who hold this view rely on. Now, to bring our broadcast today to a close, in conclusion, God alone is God. I think we've made that point abundantly clear from Scripture today. God alone is God. Christ is God incarnate, 
rather than absurd fantasies about a plurality of lesser deities, let us worship the true and the living God. Again, I'm Ben Winslet, thanking you for listening to Words of Grace today, inviting you to write, let me know that you've received the broadcast, and also to tune in again next week at this time. Until then, may the Lord's richest blessings be yours, is my prayer. If you enjoy the messages you hear on Words of Grace, consider this your invitation to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. An online directory is available at marchtozion.com. Copies of this and other broadcasts are available for download on iTunes and on our website. And finally, Words of Grace is a listener-supported program. To contact us, address your correspondence to Words of Grace Radio, 641 Moontown Road, Brownsboro, Alabama, 35741, or visit us online at flintriverpbc.org.